remarkable ministry, a remarkable family. Like I said earlier, you got to be wired in a certain way to do that. Go all the way over there and have a ministry with with five kids. It can be done. Um, so uh, all of that to say is, please stick around. You're going to want to meet them in person. Uh, come two thirty, okay? Well, we're we're going to. Open the Word of God now. If you've got your Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to Jeremiah 6. Jeremiah 6. This is not going to be a uh, sermon per se. Instead, I I, I intend it to be more of a Bible study as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. I know most of you were out late last night and you're sitting there tired. So this will keep you awake because I'm going to have you go from uh, text to text to text and the things that we're going to look at. So I trust that you have your Bible open and ready to go. Jeremiah 6 and verse 16 uh, is actually the verse, and I came across it in my Ph.D. studies uh, way back when, a few months ago, and I've been sitting on it for a number of weeks now. Uh, In the end, uh, (laughs) I didn't uh, actually use it for my Ph.D. studies. It it wasn't much um, relevance. But the more I meditated on it, the more I could see the relevance it had for us today. And I think you'll see it as well. So let me begin by reading it for us. This is what the Lord says. Stand by the roadways and look. Ask about the ancient paths. Which is the way to what is good? Then take it and find rest for yourselves. And just stop there. It was that last little bit that caught my attention and really pulled me up. Then take it and find rest for yourselves. Rest. Who who doesn't want rest? That's what I ask. I mean, I love rest, but what kind of rest is being offered here? All it says is rest for yourselves. And that's the Christian Standard Bible. If you have a New American Standard, Standard Bible. It has something a little bit different. It reads, Then you will find a resting place for your souls. The ESV has the same. You will find rest for your souls. Actually, the NIV and the New King James actually has the exact same thing. They both say, You will find rest for your souls. And so, in Trying to understand what this rest is, we're getting a little bit clearer now. Obviously, rest for your souls comes a bit more specific than a, just an ambiguous rest for yourselves. I mean, if you just throw out the possibility of rest, everything, uh, everyone will be asking, well, what kind of rest are you talking about? Most importantly, the Hebrew has, you will find rest or respite for your soul, so the NASB, ESV, New King James, NIV, they win on this one. Just so you know, it should read, you will find rest for your souls. But what does that mean? What does what what that mean? What, what does it mean to find rest for your souls? That was bugging me. So I started back up at the top of the verse, as you see, and you'll notice that this rest comes when one follows an ancient path. In fact, it says it's the ancient path and the good way. In other words, the scene here, and you can have to put your imaginative 
mind on this. The, the picture here is, is someone standing at a crossroads. This is someone who's standing at a fork in the road, so to speak. Take road A or take road B. And here's some advice, some wisdom given here. Take this road. Take the ancient road. Take the the good road. Because this road will lead to what? Rest for your souls. Now, this idea of standing at a crossroads, forking the road and taking path A or path B, that's a familiar theme in the Bible, as you know. This is how life is described in Scripture. Life is a journey. Life is a, a pilgrimage where there are only two roads to take. There's only two roads to choose from. There's only two destinations at the end of these two roads. You remember how Jesus put it in Matthew 7. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And Jesus there is really just one in a long line of preachers who are giving the truth on life. That there are only two gates, two ways, two outcomes for all of us. You go all the way back in the Old Testament. You'll remember Joshua said something similar. He said, choose this day whom you will serve. I mean, there's only two choices. Who are you going to serve? Whether you're going to go serve the gods of the Amorites and who in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You can serve the gods of the Amorites or I'm going to, or you can serve Yahweh. Who are you going to serve? You remember Elijah as well. Remember he was on Mount Carmel. And he told Israel literally, stop limping between two opinions because that's what they were doing. The Israelites had one foot in Baal and one foot in Yahweh. They were going back and forth. Never had two feet planted on the ground. Elijah said, make a choice. Make a choice. God will have no other gods before him. I just read you earlier Proverbs 9, and there's many Proverbs, but Proverbs 9 in particular makes the, the point that uh, you have lady wisdom on one side and lady folly on the other side, and they're both crying out. They're both crying out. Again, there's only two choices. Go after Lady Wisdom or go after Lady Folly? And the question is, who are you going to listen to? One voice is for the enlightened, prudent, and the living, and the other voice is for the dumb, depraved, and dead. And this has always been the message, the warning given, the wisdom offering, that all of us have only two choices, two paths, two roads to travel on in our lives. And guess what? It's your choice. It's your feet. It's your choice. Which road are you going to choose? What path are you going to choose? In fact, the question might be, which path are you currently on? Which road are you on? Remember, Psalm 1 puts it in a question. Basically, where do you find yourselves? You remember Psalm 1. On one side is the blessed, happy man. The other side is simply the wicked. And what makes the two differently is basically their location. You remember in Psalm 1. The blessed man never walks in the counsel of the wicked. He never stands in the path of sinner. He never sits in the seat of scoffers. But rather, he delights in the law of God and he meditates in it day and night. 
Five times the preposition in is used in those first two verses. That's significant. And it answers the question, where are you? Are you over here? Are you over here? Or are you over there? Go over to Jeremiah 17, since you're in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17 has his own version of Psalm 1. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but in Jeremiah 17, verse 5, this is what the Lord says, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord, for he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when, when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt that is not inhabited. So that's the cursed man. But then verse 7, the other choice is, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. So you have a choice. You can trust in mankind or you can trust in the Lord. And whose trust is the Lord. And he's very different. Verse 8, He will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and does not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. So again, same, same thought back in Psalm 1. There's only two people and they're both defined and separated by this little two-word preposition in. Are you going to trust in mankind or are you going to trust in the Lord? And depending on that, we'll find out where you are in. The paths of the wicked and the sinners and the scoffers, or we will see you just delighting in the word of God and all that it brings. So coming back to our text here in Jeremiah 6, there's a pattern. There's a pattern all over Scripture declaring that in life, that the truth in life, that there's only two roads, two paths, and one choice. Everybody clear on that? I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I want to make sure you all get that. But again, what captured my attention here is that there's an incentive to get on the right road. Sure, there's two roads, but there's an incentive here. There's an offer here to get on the right road, and that is you get on it and there's going to be rest for your souls. That's incentive, right? I mean, you could say that's the blessed consequence for choosing wisely. But what does that mean? We haven't defined it yet, have we? Well, let's give it a shot. We, we could begin by saying he, he doesn't say you'll have rest in the land. That would have been important for the Israelites, but that's not what he says. He doesn't say you'll have rest in the land. He even doesn't say you'll have rest from your enemies, and that would have been important because the Assyrians just left and the Babylonians are coming. Obviously, it's not a rest from physical exhaustion. I don't think this is a rest from your economic problems or the troubles and trials of life. No, none of that. He says you will find rest for your souls. At minimum, I guess, implied here is that the um, opposite is restlessness. Um, if you're not on the road, uh, the right road and the good path, the ancient path that leads to rest for your souls and you're on the other path, you, you could say that the, that's a path of restlessness. There's a bit of antithesis here. That is, if you reject this path offered and you choose the other path, there, there is going to be this agitation, this anxiety, this instability for your souls. 
I mean, you could even say there's this anger boiling up inside, a, a kind of restlessness. I think that's a fair deduction. But let's continue to dig. One of the things I discovered and trying to get to the bottom of what this rest was is that um, this isn't a normal word that you would uh, find in the rest of the Bible for rest. There's a, a few different words in Hebrew for rest, and, and this is the, the, the last of the bunch, so to speak. This is not Nuwak, which is the, probably one of the most familiar where we get Noah, a Nuwak. His name means rest, if you didn't know that. It's not Shalom. That often translated as peace. In fact, in its particular spelling here, this is the only occurrence in, in all of the Old Testament. This is the only time that this word shows up. Not even the, the ancient Near Eastern Semitic languages give any help because there's no, there's no cognate for, for it in, in those languages, which sometimes helps. Sometimes if you find, you know, a, an Akkadian word that's similar to the Hebrew word or an Ugaritic or uh, a Hittite word, it, it, it kind of helps kind of illuminate, put some light on the word. But there is no cognate in the ancient Near Eastern literature for this word. Now, whether they didn't have a word or we just haven't found it yet, I don't, I don't know. Having said that, though, there are similar forms of the word elsewhere, but it is spelled differently. This form of the word with its spelling is, is the only place in the Old Testament. But let's look at those other places because, as you know, Scripture interprets Scripture, and so maybe those texts will shine some light on our text. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 35. Psalm 35 and, and verse 20. In fact, start with verse 19 just to get the, the context here. Do not let those who are wrongfully my enemies rejoice over me, nor let those who hate me for no reason wink maliciously, for they do not speak peace. Now, that's shalom, just if you're interested. They don't speak peace, but they devise deceitful words against those who are, and here's our word, quiet in the land. You might have peaceful the, the word actually literally means restful ones. So again, there's two types of people. You, you have enemies. You, the, you have those who hate him, who wink maliciously. They don't speak shalom. And they devise deceitful words against the restful ones or the righteous ones. Maybe that gives a little help. Probably the best verse is uh, Isaiah 28. Go over there. Isaiah 28, verse 12, and you'll see how this sounds very similar to our text in Jeremiah. Isaiah 28, 12. He who said to them... Now, I'm, I'm reading the, the Christian Standard Bible from memory. I think this is what I, I put in here. He who said to them, this is the place of rest. Give rest to the weary. And this is the resting place. But they wouldn't listen. 
Three times the translator, now this is interesting, three times the translators use the word rest. You see that. This is the place of rest, give rest, this is the resting place. But there's three different words behind each one. It's not the same word. Three different Hebrew words, but all translated rest. And you say, which one are we interested in? And that's the last one. This is the resting place. It's that, that's, that's the same word as our word back in Jeremiah 6, but just spelled a bit differently. Literally, this is the place of repose, or this is the place of respite, or you might even have in your translation, this is the place of refreshing. So, that, that's helping a bit, I think. I mean, are we getting any clearer to our understanding of rest for our souls? Let's flip this thing over and turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy 28. And I think this will help tremendously as well. Deuteronomy 28. Starting at verse 15. Deuteronomy 28, starting at verse 15. It shall come about. This is the Lord speaking. Or this is, this is uh, Moses, but speaking for the Lord. It shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to be careful to follow all his commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding, commanding you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now drop down to verse 58. If you are not careful to follow all the words of this law that are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, severe and lasting plagues and miserable and chronic sicknesses. And you say, well, like what? Go down to verse 65. Among these nations, and here's our word, you will find no rest. Now, you might have peace in your Bible, but it's not shalom. It's, it's, our, it's our word from Jeremiah 6. Among these nations, you will find no relief, no rest. And there will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But... There, and, and watch this, the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and despair of soul. So your lives will be hanging in doubt before you, and you will be terrified night and day and have no assurance of life. In the morning you will say, if only if it were evening, and at evening you would say, only if it were morning, because of the terror of your heart which you fear and the sight of your eyes which you will see. Now stop there. Just wondering, can anybody relate to this? I mean, all that's there, no peace, no rest, a, a trembling heart full of fear, full of anxiety, full of despair, full of anger. Can I say that's perhaps almost everybody on the planet? I mean, we all know mental health issues are on an all-time high at the moment, right? And I began with verse 15 and verse 58 so that you could see the flow here and see that what provoked all of this was what? 
If you do not obey the Lord your God, if you are not careful to follow all the words of this law. In other words, we need to be reminded that what? Sin has consequences, right? We need to be reminded that when you disobey God, there is going to be this. This is what sin produces. When you are not on the road of God's word and walking on it, this is what happens. And it's amazing to me because what you have here can be summed up, really, in one word. And you say, well, what's that one word? I mean, you look at everything from verse 65 and verse 66 and even verse 67, and you can pull it all together and you can say in one word it's what? It's depression. It's depression. I mean, look at the end of verse 65. Despair of soul. Christian Standard Bible has a despondent spirit that the Puritans used to call this what? Melancholy. Others describe it as a faintness of heart or a languishing spirit. But whatever you want to call it, just, you, you just need to know that, first of all, the Lord brought it on, and this was a response to sin. Everybody got that? In other words, disobedience was the road, the path that they chose, and the curses naturally follow. So no wonder you are in a mess, a spiritual mess. You say, what then is the solution? I mean, how do you, how do you go from here? How do you go from this restlessness to a, a place of rest? Or as David puts it in Psalm 23, how do you, we get ourselves to a place where we are in green pastures and find ourselves by still waters, which is really, literally, resting waters? How do we get there? Now, let's go back to Jeremiah 6 now. I mean, I think now we can see that this invitation becomes very appealing or should be. I mean, who wouldn't want rest for their souls, especially with what we just read in Deuteronomy 28? This rest seems to be a rest that suddenly comes upon you after going through a very turbulent and agitated time. Or to put it another way, this is a rest that comes after God has taken you through the fires. Furthermore, this would have been the kind of rest that you would have thought that those in Judah would have wanted during Jeremiah's time. I mean, there was no doubt that the Lord had given them an eternal restlessness and a despair of soul because of their wickedness and sin. Now, we don't have time to fully cover it and give you the, the, the big picture of what's going on in Jeremiah's day. It was certainly an extraordinary time like much like ours, but you can just kind of get an idea just in the immediate context. If you go over to chapter 7, verse 31, uh, there was divination going on. Chapter 7, verse 31, they have built the high places of Topheth and Ben-Hinnom Valley in order to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, a thing I did not command. I never entertained the thought. You go up to verse 18, there was idolatry. The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the woman need dough to make sacrificial cakes for who? The queen of heaven. And who's that? That's Ishtar, right? The Assyrian Babylonian goddess. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods in order to provoke me to anger. Go back to chapter 5 for a moment. In verse 21. Now hear this. You foolish and senseless people, 
who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. I mean, so they're, they're stupid. They're the pravity of mind. Verse 23, but this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and departed. Verse 24, here you have wickedness. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God who gives rain in its season, both the autumn rain and the spring rain, who keeps for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your wrongdoing have turned these away and your sins have kept good away from you. For wicked people are found among my people. They watch like fowlers lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch people like a cage full of birds so their houses are full of deceit. And following that in verse 28, there's greed. Therefore they have become great and rich. They are fat. They are sleek. They also excel in the deeds of wickedness. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the orphans, so that they may be successful. They do not defend the rights of the poor. And then you go down to verse 21. You, you tell me if this sounds familiar. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule on their own authority. In other words, the religious leaders are corrupt. The religious leaders are, are liars. In fact, as you now go into chapter 6 and verse 14, uh, these prophets and priests, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying peace, peace, but there is no peace. Just like today. God's people are crushed, wounded, and hurting, but you had so-called pastors treating their wounds lightly, trivial, not serious. People today need a heart transplant, and all they are getting is a Band-Aid. Go back up to verse 13. Verse 13 is a good summation of Jeremiah's day. For from the least of them to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain and for the profit to the priest. Everyone deals falsely. And as a result, verse 15, there's no shame. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they had done? They were not ashamed at all, nor did they know even how to be ashamed. Does that sound like today? That's why I say this is very relevant. You would have thought he was speaking of 2023. Idolatry, false worship, divination, greed, oppression, wickedness, lying prophets, and shameless pride. And it's amazing that in the midst of all of this, right there in verse 16, you have an invitation. All I can say is this puts the character of God on display, yeah? In his goodness and grace, here's an invitation to repent. Here's an invitation to rest obviously there's no doubt that the external restlessness and turmoil brought on an internal restless and turmoil I mean it always does we know that sin never produces real and true happiness we know that sin never uh, produces true and real joy and real and true peace and real and true contentment or, or rest for that matter it never does so here you are in Jeremiah's day, and there's wickedness, idolatry, divination, oppression all around, and it's, it's winding you up. It's agitating you. It's a bit of turbulence of, of the soul, and you would think when you hear this invitation, you would say, yes, yes, I'm on the wrong path. I'm going to hop on that path. Amazingly, they say what? No, we won't. You see that at the end of verse 16? 
This is amazing. No. They protested and say, we will not. That's not the road we want. Most people are saying that today still, right? By the way, if you were wondering, and you probably weren't, but I did check the Septuagint on this verse. Septuagint is the Greek version of the Hebrew. And, and interestingly, uh, instead of translating it as rest in the Greek, they translate it as this, you will find purification for your souls. Which is an interpretation, but it's pretty good interpretation because the only way you're going to have rest for your souls is when you have what? Purification of your soul. When you have the forgiveness of sin. But they said no. This, to me, this boggles the mind. Why wouldn't they take the road to rest? I mean, why wouldn't you want to be at peace with God? Why wouldn't you want the forgiveness of sin and the purification of your soul? Why wouldn't you want to go from despair to rest? Well, go down to verse 18 here. We get some insight to this. Verse 18 says, Therefore, listen, you nations and you witnesses, learn. In other words, uh, the Lord's saying, Take notice, you nations, you surrounding nations, take notice and learn what, what I'm about to do to Israel. I will do to you. Be a, be a witness and study what happens of their judgment because of their disobedience. And in particular, learn what? Therefore, listen, you nations and you witnesses, learn. But the question is, well, what are, you, what are we supposed to learn, the nations say? Well, the Christian Standard Bible says, learn what the charges against them. The ESV has, learn what will happen to them. And the other translations have, learn what is among them. So, again, very different. The best translation, I believe, is this. And just listen to this. Learn what is in them. Do you catch that? that? That's what verses 18 is saying. Therefore, listen, you nations and you witnesses, and learn what is in them. Learn what is in them. In other words, the answer to their rebellion and their arrogance is where? In them. The reason why they said, no, we don't want to walk on that path, we don't want to walk on the ancient path, is... Because they got a problem in here. We're talking about their hearts, obviously. It's their hearts. They look at that path. They look at the offer. But they look over here and they look at the path that feeds the flesh and makes sin sport. That's the path I'm going to take. Why? Because that's the path that their heart pulls them towards. Go over to Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Jeremiah 17, 9. This is the lesson on what is in them. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's why they said no. You got that? That's why they won't walk on the path that God has laid out. They love the other path, you could say. In fact, speaking of love, go all the way back to chapter 5 now, just to conclude this point. In chapter 5, verse 31, the prophets 
prophesy falsely and the priests rule on their own authority. And guess what? My people love it this way. My people love it this way. I mean, you contrast all of that with, let's say, Psalm 119, where the psalmist says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Where he says, Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in them. Where he says, I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. Where he says, Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I mean, this this is a, a huge contrast. The psalmist says, I love God's path. I love the righteous path. I love the ancient paths. But how do you get there? That's the question we need to kind of wrap this all up with. How do you get there? I mean, here you are at a crossroads or at a fork in the road, and you realize that before you there's two roads, two paths, and one choice with eventuating two very different kinds of people. And there's an invitation here. There's someone crying out, take this road if you want rest for your souls. Is that what we want? Do we want rest for our souls? Well, if you want rest, here's the four steps that you need to take. The four imperatives. I'll do this real quickly. This is what the Lord says. He says what? Stand. That's the first step. Literally stop. Stop. I mean, look, this world, everybody's just hustling and bustling around and nobody stops anymore, right? In fact, according to Ephesians 2, everybody's just in this little course of the world that's going round and round and round. They just just fall in line like a dead zombie. Wherever the person in front of them is pulling them, they go. The person behind them is just following you. And the wisdom crying out here is stop. Just stop for a moment. And see. Here's our second step. Look up. Get off your phone. Look up. Observe. Take notice. Make sure you understand that there are two roads. That there's not just one road, the road that the, the, the rest of the world follows, but there is another road. Stop and see. Take notice. And then what? Ask. Oh, which, which road should I take? But be more specific. When you ask, ask for the ancient road. Ask for the ancient path, the righteous path, the good path. What's that path? That's the path that goes all the way back to Sinai. goes back to the Word of God and the law of God. And then what? Don't be just a hearer, but be a doer. So walk. Walk in it. Take it. Take it. Why? Because here's the consequence and the result. Then you will find a resting place for your soul. There you will have quietness of soul and calmness of soul. There you will have joy and peace and contentment. How's that other path doing for you? You're finding that peace? You're finding that joy? Finding that happiness? 
Obviously, we can't stop there, can we? Because in one sense, the, the, Jeremiah is telling them to take the road back to the Word of God, but we know that the Word of God takes us somewhere or to someone. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew 11. Probably didn't know the words of Jesus here actually come from Jeremiah 6.16, but they do. Matthew 11.28 Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And here it is, and you will find rest for your souls. Does that sound familiar? Again, most commentators say that Jesus has Jeremiah 6.16 in his mind when he states this. I mean, he's looking around. He, he knows that there are those who are burdened with sin. They're burdened with legalism, who, whose conscience uh, are, are erupting and don't let them sleep at night. Anxiety, anger, restlessness. And he says, come to me. Come to me. Listen. Jesus and only Jesus can offer inexpressible joy, peace that surpasses all comprehension, that rare joy of Christian contentment and a blessedness that envies all those around you. It's only, only Jesus. That's the, the only road. That's the good road. That's the righteous road. So, what's it going to be? Just like Lady Wisdom's crying out, just like 